What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Welcome to Cavs the Podcast. I'm Nate Smith, and I'm here with Donnie Socher and Chris Francis. So we were able to do a Sunday afternoon podcast because Chris has got a stinker of a football game on. So uh, he was like, "Yeah, let's 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 talk some wine and gold scrimmage." And uh, how's your Sunday going, Donnie? Well, you know, Browns managed to pull it out, so that's all I needed for my week to not fall apart. What was the final score? Yeah, I was wondering. Uh, 14, 14 to seven. Baker looked horrible. Defense looked great. I'll take it. Hey, I win. In the words of Al Davis, just win, baby. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, but in Cavs news, we had our first Cavs action since May. Well, at least full roster action since May, and and everybody played. Everybody's healthy, which is an awesome thing to see. Uh, we got Dylan Windler sighting, Kevin Love sighting. Everybody's. Everybody uh, suited up and played. Uh, they they have a pretty deep roster. Um, and, you know, just immediate first impressions from the, uh, the wine and gold scrimmage. Chris, uh, what did you like? What didn't you like? Well, uh, immediate takeaways. Uh, one thing I liked was um, it appeared that Mobley played uh, at the five um, and was – Paired up with either Laurie Markinen or Kevin Love, I think the entire scrimmage. So that was a, a, a 
one of the things that stood out to me uh, clearly is uh, how Mobley was used and who was on the court with Mobley. Um, and the other, I think, uh, takeaway was um, Kevin Love looked healthy and uh, in shape. So uh, I thought he had a little bit of a spring to his step um, that we haven't really seen in a while. Uh uh, I guess you could also say uh, Darius Garland looked great, looked ready to go. So, uh, yeah, I think those were the major takeaways was um, kind of Mobley's, uh, who Mobley was grouped with and Kevin Love looking kind of fresh. So those were my two big things. Um, did he look better? So I didn't watch a lot of uh, pre-Olympic Kevin Love. Did he look better than pre-Olympic Kevin Love? Hundred percent, yes. I, uh, you know, uh, Olympic Olympic Kevin Love or pre Olympic Kevin Love, um, just slow, uh, slow and mistake prone. I would say are the two ways I would describe it. Um, he just looked sharper. There was a there was a purpose to the way he was moving. He was taking the open shot when it was there. He was making the pass when it was there. You know, he had a really nice outlet to Chetty. Um, Drained a couple, uh, drained a couple jumpers, you know, um, had a nice little two man game with Rubio. So there was just a lot of things that he was doing that it just, he just looked active and having fun on the court, which is, uh, not something that Kevin Love has had, uh, it seems in the past couple of years. Yeah. I mean, that's a win for sure. Um, what about you, Donnie? What did you like? What didn't you like? Well, this is, Maybe going to come across as selfish because I spoke so highly of the marketing trade earlier this summer, but I was just really impressed by marketing. I thought he was just great at locating where he needs to be off ball. He was hitting jumpers. He looked fluid. He looked happy to be out there. And I just thought that was really exciting. You know, that's an element that no one else on the team outside of Kevin Love can provide. And you know, when it comes to Love's effort and fitness and ability to play, I'll sort of believe it when I can see it. So I, I was I was really excited to see Lowry kind of show out. And and Garland as well, I, I thought looked really good. And, you know, not to be all old school cliche, but I'm feeling optimistic about the idea that this Team USA experience was actually a little transformative for him. And he's going to really step into his role this year. I'm with you guys 100% on Garland. I thought he came across as a player fully in command of his capabilities. Like, he just looks like a guy that is – his confidence is sky high. He can do just about anything on the basketball court with the ball. Um, he had that beautiful steal where he uh, threw the oop to uh, Isaac Okoro at the end. Um, did I get that right? Was it Okoro that slammed that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And I uh, had a couple filthy steals um, just, you know, picking guys off on half court from from half court. Or uh, I, I know he stole a couple from Colin Sexton. I thought he looked phenomenal. Drained a 30-footer um, from the from the deep left wing in uh, it late in the game. And then the game kind of devolved in – not really game, but it devolved into, you know – showboat in time at the end and there wasn't a lot of defense it's hard to take too much away or you don't want to take too much away from you know what is basically a glorified scrimmage um especially with guys not really playing defense uh, especially towards the latter half of that second quote-unquote quarter um i thought mobley 
you know, had one of the highlights and, uh, I know we were talking before the podcast, Chris, uh, you, you felt that he embarrassed a certain Cavs player and, and what player was that? Oh, you know, his young bull, baby. <laughs> oh man. Uh, there's a clip going around of, uh, uh, a, a nice little, uh, a nice little, uh, play where, um, young bull has, uh, Mobley isolated on the perimeter and, uh, Young Bull tries to take him to the rack and gets summarily uh, stuffed as 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 uh, Sexton is wont to do at times in his career. And uh, what was funny about it was the fact that they that Sexton on that play had Dylan Windler wide open for a corner three with not one defender around him for probably within ten feet and. Uh, uh, Sexton obviously uh, doesn't get the ball to him, decides to take the shot, and leaves Windler exasperated walking down the court. <laughs> so, and I was like, oh, uh, Sexton looks like he's in prime regular season form here. <laughs> Donnie, any comments on that? I, to be honest, I wish, I wish I could verbally roll my eyes. It's just, we've seen it so many times with Sexton and I still, I think am probably more optimistic than either of you guys on Colin Sexton, but long-term there's just no way this guy can be the primary creator on your offense. Like he's got to just be able to score because that's the only thing he wants to do. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I I've come around a little bit on the fact that he is, led the lead he's been first or second in blocks against literally his entire career um and of course last year you had uh zion williamson led the league in blocks against and i believe sexton was number two now the difference there is williamson is attacking the paint so much and he's scoring at a ridiculous clip when he does get in the paint. You can forgive those blocks for sure. I'm sure he's a good 10 to 15 percentage points higher uh, shooting at the basket than Colin Sexton. But uh, that, that those kind of forays where he's just getting stuffed and ignoring guys are, are what you want to go away. It's hard. Like I said, it's hard to take anything away from a preseason game or not even a preseason game, a, uh, you know, a scrimmage. So I, I'll just kind of let that one go and hope we see better things in preseason, better things in the regular season. Uh, one thing I w- really enjoyed was, you know, Evan Mobley at the at the five. Um, and it, you know, gets to something we'll probably talk about in a little bit in the next segment is, you know, what's this Cavalier starting lineup going to look like? But he definitely showed a really nice touch in the post um, against, you know, what was basically a shell defense. But... Uh, yeah, that I I thought he showed nice footwork, really uh, nice length, and I will say the other thing about uh, Darius Garland is he's definitely grown over the summer. Um, he is at least six two now, and I'm I'm hoping he he snuck his way up to six three. So we'll see how tall he is, but he definitely looked bigger. Um, he definitely. Yeah, he had a slam, I think, in the game or in the preseason and definitely looked more explosive around the basket than he has earlier in his NBA career. So I'm hoping he got a little bit longer over the summer. Uh, Did you guys notice that? 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. He got up with ease. Uh, he had that half-court steal and slam. And I was kind of shocked at how easy he slammed it. Like, it, it, he, you know, normally for a six-foot guy, you're jumping all out to dunk it. You know, you have to. Uh, and he looked like he got up with ease. So that's not – I mean – I never equated Garland as being particularly explosive, more crafty and um, uh, crafty and uh, uh, sophisticated as far as his movements on the court. Um, but that was kind of surprising. He got up there for that slam. So it was nice to see. And also, you know, even beyond physical growth, he also suffered a really traumatic injury. And, you know, we drafted him as a guy who had only played a few games in college. And it's very possible that the further out he gets from that injury, the more confident he feels, you know, launching off of both feet, launching off of one feet, you know, making those kind of quick turns you need up and down the court. He might just actually have an, a new level of athleticism. That That's a really exciting development if that's the case. And it certainly, certainly seems like it. He certainly looks like he's got breakout season written all over him. I really liked uh, other things I like, Ricky Rubio. Uh, I think you touched on it, Chris, that little uh, – old school uh, post entry to Kevin Love where he shot that hook uh, reminiscent of their Minnesota days. Um, 100%. 100%. It was uh, vintage Rubio got the switch Love on Sexton. Love went right to the post, uh, posted Sexton up. Rubio saw it, dumped it off, and it was all she wrote right there. Yeah, and I thought Okoro looked looked really explosive and athletic. I think this team is, is deep and they're athletic, and if uh, – you know, Windler and Osman and Stevens can shoot. They they have some depth at the wing for sure. And some athletic guys that can, you know, do different things. I, I really like the way Stevens played. I like the way he runs the floor. If Stevens could be a guy who could shoot 35% or even, you know, 33% from three, he's a really useful player. Um, so, so that was fun to see. And, and, you know, like you said, Donnie, Laurie Markinen just looked like a straight gunner which I'm thrilled about. The Cavs need more guys that are just absolutely afraid, unafraid to let it rip uh, from from three. So that was super fun. Um, I'm trying to think Taco Fall <laughs> was interesting. He uh, he as well had a block on Colin Sexton by sticking his hand up there. But he is very tall, but he is the antithesis of explosive. <laughs> like. Well, you didn't you didn't like that ISO that he that got at the end. Of the <laughs> oh game? my gosh, yeah. I mean, do you think he actually makes the team? Oh, absolutely not. No, I mean, he was a he was a circus show in Boston, and and so I, you know, that's already known about him. So I I don't know. I mean, I hate you know. I don't want to sound like I'm being mean. I'm just talking purely basketball sense. Uh, he just. I mean, it's just hard for him to. It's hard for me to see him uh, dealing with NBA speed um, when he has to do switches. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Anybody else stand out for you guys or look especially problematic? Well, okay. Yeah, I mean, we will. Uh, when's, the, <laughs> when's the next game? Uh, I, I believe it's Tuesday. I believe it is the fifth against uh, at Chicago. Well, and I know that at least it seems like for their preseason schedule, it's kind of like back to back to back to back. And then. Yeah. And they're doing they're I think they're playing like two. They're kind of clustering teams. They're going to see these little pods kind of pop up throughout the season to to limit exposure in case there is a COVID-19 outbreak. So 
But when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about starting lineups that Lori Markinen, Kevin Love, uh, Evan Mobley debates gonna gonna rage fierce. So uh, stay tuned. And we're back, Cavs the podcast starting lineups. And really, the big question is: Does Mobley, Evan Mobley, starting give them the best chance to win this season? So let's start off with Donnie. Uh, what's your? Uh, what would you like to see? What do you think we're going to see? And do you think Mobley gives them the best chance to win? I both think that it's likely that Mobley gives us the best chance to win because I'm a big believer in his defense and think he'll do just enough on offense. But at the same time, I actually would like to start him out on the bench. You know, the Hornets sort of modeled this well with LaMelo Ball in his outstanding rookie season. And, you know, LaMelo is a very different type of guy than Evan Mobley, but they wanted to make him earn it. So, you know, he played more spot minutes, back up. He would close some games if he was playing well. And it was frustrating, I think, for fans of that team. But eventually he earned the starting spot and he was better for it because he really had to, you know, work his ass off. And I, I think that's what I'd like to see from Mobley as well. So your hope is that that perhaps he starts off on the bench and works his way into the starting lineup uh, based on performance during the season, correct? Yeah, for me, the ideal of a Mobley season is starts out as you know, back up five and plays really, really well, you know, for 20, 25 minutes a game, maybe on some nights, throwing in a little time at the four there. And as the season goes on, I mean, it, you know, if he plays well enough, it could be five or six games into the season, you know, and it, it, it can it can really affect the narrative of a rookie season in a positive way when you get to sort of hit that milestone of, Oh, this guy's just too good to keep on the bench. So that's what I'd like to do. How about you, Nate? What What do you think? What do you think we'll see? What do you hope to see? And do you think Mobley gives them the best chance to win? Starting Mobley gives them the best chance. I actually don't think starting Mobley gives them the best chance to win. I, if I were the Cavs, I'd actually start Kevin Love. Um, and one of the reasons for that is just rebounding. Um, I don't think you'll actually see that. I think they're going to be pretty protective of Kevin Love's minutes. Um, I would be very surprised if we ever saw him play more than 25 minutes a game. And uh, I would bet it would be, you know, closer to 20 than 25 uh, if when he's healthy. However, you know, if you want to spot start a guy like that, I, I think Kevin Love's deserved it. I think Mobley's going to really struggle on the defensive boards. And we've seen, I mean, I actually saw Colin Sexton steal a rebound from him, rebound from him the other, or in the wine and gold scrimmage. So I think that's one. And, you know, Jared Allen is an, a decent defensive rebounder, but he doesn't carve out a lot of space there. And those guys are both pretty uh, slight to be able to, you know, block out on the defensive boards. I think that's going to be a real problem. But I, uh, the other side of that is, I think it's his job to lose. I think he'd have to play really bad and badly in preseason or, you know, Kevin Love or Laurie Markinen would just have to be fantastic in preseason. I think what they don't want to do is, you know, have Kevin Love or Laurie Markinen get the starting spot and then, you know, be pretty irritable about losing it. Uh, if, if Mobley, you know, gets there, or those guys are playing bad. So I think, 
you know, precedence with the way they handled Garland and Sexton, it's going to be Evan Mobley's to lose. Uh, I also don't think the Cavs are very invested in winning games this year. Uh, I think they want one more year in the lottery. So we'll, we'll kind of see what happens with that. But I, I think, uh, my, my worst case scenario is that he starts, he's a little overmatched, and then he kind of mopes and, you know, hits that rookie wall early. That's what I don't want to see happen. So it, it should be interesting. I would love I, – I actually think there's an outside shot that you could start Markinen and Mobley if you really wanted to, and you let Mobley play defense at the three – and you let uh, Markinen play defense at the four, but you switch him on offense. I think that that makes you a little tough uh, shooting wise. Um, and I didn't, then I don't know if you start a Coro or Sexton at the two. I I would prefer they actually start a Coro. I think that's a really good defensive lineup. But you know that that's a little hard to juggle. That I don't know, Donnie. What do you think of that? I think you're probably right based on the history of what the Cavs have done with their young guys. My concern about that, especially given that we're likely talking about Mobley starting at the four, is just that if things get out to a really bad start and it's looking terrible, like we said, the Cavs are deep and we have this sort of intriguing mix of veterans and young guys and guys in the middle of their career but that mix also means that there's a lot of voices in the room, and I just could see this locker room in this season getting a little ugly if we start out on you know six or seven game losing streak and Mobley is completely ineffectual, which again doesn't actually matter for his career arc. Who cares what he does in the first month of his career? But narrative-wise, I'd be a little worried about starting him, especially because we're talking about starting him likely at, at the four. I actually love the idea of Mobley and Markkinen starting or Mobley and Love, but I don't see how you pay Jared Allen $100 million and don't give him the starting job. That just seems incredibly unlikely. Well, no, I was saying, you know, you start a big three. <laughs> you start Markkinen at the three or – you know, Mobley and Markinen are kind of like three, four hybrids. You don't think that's a possibility, do you? I mean, I just, I just literally swallowed vomit, so I <laughs> no. Wow, I'm literally sick to my stomach. I, I cannot imagine that lineup working. Well, tell me how you really feel. I, I, I certainly think that would be a very zone heavy lineup if they did that. So, I, I do think we will see big lineups like that. Uh, during the season, but you're probably right. We probably won't see him as a starting lineup. Um, what are, what are some of the bench combos? Like, who do you think, you know, six, seven, eight in the rotation? Uh, you know, there's a lot of guys. It's a deep team. Who do you think some of the odd men out are, uh, Chris? You know, especially in that wing depth. Yeah. One of the obvious is one, ones is Dean Wade, actually. Dean Wade seems to be, uh, Seems to be on the outside look again of the top four bigs, um, uh, of the top four bigs that I'll play. Uh, it seems like Kevin loves, like if he's healthy and he's, you know, uh, if he's healthy and hungry, he's probably eating up any of the backup minutes there in spot starting, uh, during the year. And I, and I think the only way Wade actually sees the court is if there's some experimentation with him at the three. 
um, which we did see last season. So I think uh, Wade's one of the guys that maybe takes a back seat, which, uh, you know, uh, uh, just kind of shows that there is a better depth on this team this year. Wade probably deserves probably fringe rotation minutes. And now he's on the outside looking in, just kind of speaks to the depth and the added depth that they have now um, in the front court. Um, another guy, I'm not sure. Uh, I think I'm wondering Chetty. Uh, Chetty Osman's role. Um, I think, uh, I mean, he was disastrous at the three slash four um, last season. Uh, couldn't couldn't hit anything. Um, he, uh, because of injuries and people sitting out and, you know, obvious tanking or whatever, he started to play a little bit of point forward to guard and he actually was productive and he actually uh, made some plays offensively as well as on the perimeter as a defender. Um, so I'm just kind of wondering where Chetty fits in here and how they'll use him, especially when he's really not shown any production at the wing spot, you know, during his career. I mean, yeah, he, he shot it well, but, uh, you know, in, in past years, but, you know, uh, it just seems like he's better on the ball. It seems like the, the way to maximize his offensive impact is putting the ball in his hands and letting him make decisions with it um, via the pass or off the dribble shot. So um, that's another guy I'm curious about. Yeah, I, I'll, uh, you know, I think one of the things the Cavs have to do with Chetty, and I, I noted this on Twitter earlier today, was they have to give him a consistent role and just very much stick him in his lane. I think one of the problems with Chetty his entire career with the Cavs is they've asked him to radically change his role multiple times in a season. You know, we all saw the experiment and, and obviously injuries had something to do with that, but we all saw the experiments with him at the four. Uh, they were just kind of disastrous. I actually don't think Chetty is a great guy on the ball all the time. I think where Chetty shines really well is a guy you run Sets for him in the half court uh, where you, you know, get him on pin downs, you get him coming off screens, and then he can kind of be a secondary playmaker. I don't think he's a great primary playmaker, mainly because his handle's too sloppy. But if you get him on the cut, you get him on coming off uh, curls and pin downs, he's great. And then obviously, he's a pretty good playmaker in transition. Uh, That's kind of the role I would like to see for him exclusively at the 2-3. that, that's that's really where I think he shines. Another guy that I'm I'm really interested to see where he shakes out because I think he actually has a lot of NBA potential is uh, Lamar Stevens. I I think he could be on the right team a 15 20 minute a night bench guy for for a winning team. Like one of the things that I really did not want the Cavs to sign you know Derek or to get Derek Jones Jr. in the offseason. Uh, was because, and I'm super happy they got Markin in instead, was because I think Lamar Stevens is literally the same player making a tenth of the salary. And so, you know, the whole point of a Derrick Jones Jr. is you don't want to sign Derrick Jones Jr. to big contract. You want to find the next Derrick Jones Jr. So I, I feel like he's that kind of guy. I, where do you, what kind of role do you see for him, Donnie? Yeah, I, I got to say I'm, I'm not quite as excited for about Lamar Stevens as you. Um, I, I do think it's a little troubling that 
you know, we're talking about Lamar Stevens and not about Isaac Okoro, who was our lottery pick. But yeah, I, I, I think Derek Jones Jr. is a fair comp. And Derek Jones Jr. is actually a player who I think I've always been a little higher on than the NBA actually seems to be. I, I think he's a useful player. He's great in transition. He's a fun watch for the fans. Um, yeah, I, I I think Stevens could, could earn a solid 10 to 15 minutes a night on this team. The truth is, I'm not focused on us winning. So if Stevens actually turns out to be, you know, a very helpful eighth or ninth rotation player, that's the kind of guy I, I frankly wouldn't mind trading for a couple of seconds. Or if he turns out to be way better than we expect, maybe like a heavily protected first rounder or something. He just doesn't really seem to me like the type of guy that we need to get our young players to where we want them to be. I I still would sort of focus more on an all-offense guy than an all-defense guy for the sake of Mobley, Okoro, and Garland and Sexton's development, if that makes sense. Chris, uh, what what do you think a good season for Isaac Okoro is? You know, give me minutes and points and rebounds and assists. Sure, sure. Uh, I'm thinking something in the neighborhood of... You know, what what would be nice is something like 15 and 5. You know, 15, 5, 5 is something in the neighborhood of what a really... I think that'd be phenomenal, but that seems a little unrealistic to me. Well, uh, it probably is, especially the assists. But, I mean, uh, 15 and 5, I believe, were his splits um, at the end of last season, um, filling in for Garland as well as uh, Sexton at times. So. I think you know it seems like there's there's a it's a while it'd be uh optimistic I think it's within the realm of possibility. So um and uh what would be really nice is his defense taking a leap because I mean uh you know the defense the defensive metrics last year for him weren't all together um they, I'm a little hesitant to say it was a success. Like I was expecting just a little bit more. Um, the the playmaking wasn't necessarily there, especially on the perimeter uh, with his steal rate. Um, he did okay at times. Uh, you know, there was there was there was moments, but as a whole, I really didn't see like defensive stopper. You know, and obviously he's 19. You know, who's a, who's a defensive stopper then? But that's that was kind of his calling card and. You know, just, you know, hoping to, you know, I was just hoping for the best, you know, uh, hoping for something like a diamond in the rough type. Deal. Yeah. So that's what I kind of see for a is, you know, if he could do something in the neighborhood of 15-5, you know, that'd be nice. You know, then, then uh, I, you know, I'm getting excited about his future. What about, what about you, Donnie? Yeah, I think I differ a little bit from you, Chris, in that I don't really think a has a whole lot of upside as a passer or playmaker. And I think the metrics might be a little misleading on him. You know, he's an interesting player who's a bit of a tough nut to crack in terms of evaluating him as a defender because he's very different from a Matisse Thibault because Thibault has, you know, this obscene like seven foot wingspan. And Okoro, I I believe he's, what is he, like six four with a six six wingspan, something like that. Um, yeah, he, he defends right. very, he, he defends very differently. He's not even in college. One of the sort of red flags on him as a projected high level defender was that he didn't have like a very high steal or block rate, but everyone agreed he was a great defender. 
and you know his his strength as a defender assuming that it sort of comes together is i think going to be more in the way of like you know peak eric peak eric gordon on the rockets was an outstanding switch defender because you just sort of built like a tank so you yeah his, his through him his strength is literally his strength yeah exactly and and in terms of what to expect from him this season i mean it's always so hard to predict counting stats i see it somewhere in the range of like you know, we'd like to see 15 points a game and like maybe four or five rebounds and a couple of assists. But the the number that actually might be more important to me is related to a player comp. So obviously, I imagine as NBA nerds, you guys are also big fans of uh, of Lou Dort on the Thunder. Oh, that's a great comp. And uh, Dort is an interesting guy because he's a very limited defend he's not a limited defender he's an outstanding defender he's a very limited offensive player who's become a decent shooter who they still are going to leave wide open in the playoffs but what's interesting about him is he actually drives to the rim i pulled it up right here 10 times a game and he wow that's a just, lot isn't it that's got to be yeah uh it's, it's not quite lean league but it's 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 very high for a guy who only is playing 30 minutes a game and isn't a isn't you know a ball handler and I would kind of like to see Okoro use his strength in the same way. You know, Dort is not a finesse player. His handle is not great. It might be actually worse than Okoro's, but he just uses that strength and just puts his head down and just bull rushes the rim over and over and over again. And I think that's something I'd like to see from Okoro. You know, I'm all for him improving as a shooter. I'd love to see more playmaking, but to some extent, you're asking him to develop skills that are probably never going to be what makes him a very good player. Like it's, I, I just don't see a, a world where Okoro is, you know, dropping eight dimes a game or, you know, like shooting eight threes a game or something. So I, I think I actually, from a development perspective, I would love to see him just focus on getting to the rim, getting to the line and just bodying the hell out of guys on the other end. I, I actually think a really good comp for him is a, a better version of David Nwaba when we saw him with the Cavs and kind of the player that David Nwaba is when he's healthy. And he's very much that same kind of player, a super strong guy, bowls his way to the rim. He get you get him on a, he gets you on his hip and you're done. You know, and you know, Ben Worth has talked about a lot, and of course we haven't have had him publish him or had him in uh, podcast, but on the email thread, he talks a lot about how Okoro is actually a really good left-handed finisher and he doesn't have great touch with the right hand, but I feel like he can be a guy who finished with a left-hand version and has some right-hand ability version of David Nwaba. And one of the things about Nwaba is that he's, at least when he was with the Cavs, and I haven't watched him as much the last couple of years, um, is that he is exclusively right-handed uh, but you know, that I, I love that comp you said of Lou Dort. I, I think that kind of player, that kind of really strong player, you know, best case scenario there, you got a Jimmy Butler is kind of the best version of that player. Um, I do think Okoro has more upside than, you know, a David Nawaba. I think best case scenario for Okoro this season would be like 11 or 12 points. It was a little goofy last year as rebounding stats, uh, 
Another guy, much better offensive rebounder than defensive rebounder, but one of the reasons he wasn't a great defensive rebounder, and like you said, uh, Donnie, not a great steals or blocks guy, is because really his role is to just go out and blanket the other guy, is to cover him so well, he's he's not going to bait you into steals. He's going to say, hey, that guy's not open. You can't pass to him. So he's definitely a guy that plays really close, really tight, uses his strength on defense, but he's not going to put up a bunch of numbers. But you hope his advanced defensive metrics, uh, you know, are to the point where they they help the team's on-off. Uh, they help his on-off stats, uh, you know, in the aggregate. I'm I'm excited for what we're going to see from him. I think he does have a little bit of playmaking ability, and I'm I'm excited for what we see from his potential. I also think he is an outstanding cutter, and you know better a little bit than Ben Gordon and you know a guy like Nawaba were at that point in their career. He's a very good cutter in the half court, uh, very good at moving without the ball. If he can shoot in the low 30s and be a very good cutter, he's useful in a half court offense, and he's going to be good in transition. So, you know, 10, 11 points, a couple of assists, maybe four or five rebounds would be outstanding for him. Um, and he's just going to be a glue guy that can kind of play any – the two and the three exclusively for the Cavs. So I, I think he can be a 30 minute a night player. I'm I'm high level starter long-term. And with that, we're going to take a second break and uh, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Cavs, a podcast. One of the things we talked about in the break was uh, Isaac Okoro's best game last year. And I'd forgotten about this. He had a 47 minute 32 point explosion against Phoenix Um where they played, they played him to overtime and then got waxed in twenty to four in overtime. But uh, uh, Okoro dropped thirty two and was nine and nine from the free throw line and ten of sixteen from the field, uh, six assists, three rebounds. So, you know, sign me up for more of that. So he does have that in his bag, but it, it was definitely a rarity last season. So. Um, anything is possible. And, you know, I, Ben Worth talks about more than anybody, uh, functional strength is one of the most underrated aspects of NBA, of what makes a good NBA player and NBA prospects. So hopefully we get more of that, but now on to team previews for the NBA. Um, we're going to go through like we do every year, do over unders. Um, and everybody's going to give a couple reasons why, uh, that, Line is too high or too low for the NBA, and so let's let's get started with uh, the Pacific Northwest because the team that's nearest and dearest to my heart outside of Cleveland is the Portland Trailblazers. So we're gonna we're gonna start up in the Pacific Division or uh, the Northwest Division. Uh, what's the over under line for the Trailblazers? We have for the Portland Trailblazers forty four point five. 44.5. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm gonna, God, this is so hard. I'm gonna take the over. I'm, I'm gonna just slightly take the over. Everybody stays healthy. Larry Nance plays better. They play better defense. Utah comes back down to earth a little bit. Uh, Minnesota and Oklahoma City still stink. Uh, CJ McCollum, the, the pride of Plain Township. Uh, <laughs> plays a little bit better defense under uh, Chauncey Billups. And, you know, the straw that stirs the drink off the bench is, is Larry Nance. And 
and Yusuf Nurkic uh, is a little bit more of a fulcrum on offense. So that I'm taking the over. I'm a fan. I'll agree with you, Nate. I'll take the over. I think health uh, will help them. The coaching change might uh, improve the defense, perhaps. So I'll, I'll take the over on that as well. How about you, Donnie? Uh, yeah, I'm actually going to come in on the under on this one. For me, this Ooh. is a little bit of a bet against health because the Blazers have always been good when Nurkic is healthy and he has just basically never been consistently healthy for them. And, you know, CJ missed a bunch of time last season. That could happen again. But more than anything for me, this is just a bet that if things go badly and day masks out, then you could be going way under. And, you know, when you're picking these, I think you always want to look for possibilities of, you know, some some real cushion, let's say, on the on the win total. So I'm gonna go under I like pretty comfortably that. here. That's spicy, but I like it. So you're going under under with a high confidence interval. Uh, yes, uh, I yes actually, <laughs> but okay, but so it's wait, wait, l- less see. less than high confidence in the under. It's it's more that if this goes under, I think it goes way under. Like if if this goes under, I think we're talking like thirty wins, and if it goes over, I think it's real close, and you're talking about forty six, forty seven. So in to- in totality, I just feel more comfortable with the under. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good. You know, the range is certainly the band that's near the top of the band, and the band could go a lot low, lower in the probability. So I, I think that's a good analysis, even though. You know, that's a head and the heart thing for me. So I'm going with my heart, but my head tells me you're probably right. Uh, up next, we've got uh, the Denver Nuggets. Uh, where are we at with those, Chris? Or Don? Yeah, Chris, sorry. <laughs> yes, sir. We have Denver Nuggets at 47.5. 47.5 for the Denver Nuggets. And we're playing 82 games again this year, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, and also normal, like, uh, I guess they normalized the um, schedule. Rest. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what's your take on that line, Chris? Oh, man. Uh, I actually want to go. Oh, man. I want to go under because of Jamal Murray. Like, it's just, uh, you know, I don't know when he's back, if he's even back. Uh, I don't know if he's back to start the year. I doubt it. Um, so the Jamal Murray thing is just very scary. What about you, Donnie? Yeah, I'm actually just going to go over on this one because I have endless faith in Nikola Jokic. I, I think this, even without Jamal Murray, you know, MPJ is getting a little bit better. He should be motivated coming off the big contract. Um, yeah, I, I just think I have to have to lean over on this one because – the regular season is a grind, and teams are just not prepared to play against a team that's comfortably putting up, you know, 120, 130 on a nightly basis. Man, I'm I'm so all over the place on this number. I it does feel low to me. It's a really good number. I mean, I actually, if I could bet to push, what what's the number again? Forty seven and a half. You said forty eight and a half. Forty eight and a half. Man, that is a really good number. Um, and last season. Denver won 47 in 10 fewer games. And they still, like, Jamal Murray was out, what, the last third of the season? Yeah, I mean, he was he was out uh, for a good, I mean, at least a month or two. Uh, at least a month, month and a half. Yeah, I, I, I've got to go as long as Jokic is healthy. And, and i got to hope they saw something in Aaron Gordon 
that makes him think he's going to be a better player than he was in the playoffs and and give him that giant extension they gave him. I'm I'm going to take the over. Uh, you guys didn't regret my choice. You <laughs> you took the under, huh? No, I don't think yeah. there's anything wrong with that. Okay, up next. Um, yeah, see, that's the other thing about Denver, but they got a lot of young guys too that they drafted. So I'm I'm a little bit, but they got one of the best names in the NBA, Bones Highland. So and I think they're going to try and get some of those younger guys some minutes. So should be interesting. Um, up uh, Utah Jazz. Okay, Utah Jazz. We have at fifty two point five. Utah Jazz coming in at fifty two point five. Donnie, give me get, give me the over under here, Donnie. I know what you're taking, but I want to hear it. I, I mean, this is as close as it gets for me. The Jazz are an outstanding regular season team and have, have been for a long time. But I think I just got to lean under here. I'm a little nervous about Mitchell and Conley's health and. One of these years, I think Gobert is going to slip just a little bit. I I just like the other teams a little more, so I'm going to lean under here. But I mean, it is by a hair. I mean, it's really tough because they literally won 52 games with 10 fewer games last season. I actually think that it's going to be a little easier to scout them this year. Um, I actually do think they lost a little bit of depth uh, off the bench. So like uh, George's Niang is gone. Um, they're not going to have as much shooting as they did off the bench. Um, Ingles is another year older. I think he's going to be almost like 34 this year. You know, Jordan Clarkson can regress to the mean. So, but man, that 52, I'm going to, I'm going to take the under just because I feel like they are going to fall back to earth a little bit. And just the West is going to be even tougher this year. I'm going to have to zag and go the over. Uh, you just said it. Uh, 50, they, they won 52 in 10 fewer games. Um, also, it just kind of feels like, you know, people hate the Jazz. You know, people hate the Utah Jazz. Let's be honest here. So I feel like that's kind of affecting the line a little bit. I think I'll go over. Nice, nice. Okay, and then the last team out of the Pac Northwest, Minnesota, right? So they're in the Pacific Northwest. That's <laughs> I didn't realize that. You said Minnesota, correct? And um, Oklahoma City are in the Northwest Division. So, oh, both yep. of them are. Yeah. Oh, yep. wow! I did not know. Okay, so we got you said first up Minnesota. Minnesota Timberwolves coming at thirty four point five, thirty four point thirty four point five for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Man, these lines are tough. I that that number feels high to me. I just feel like, you know, they got Cat, they got Ant, they got D'Angelo Russell, but every single year something happens to that team. And we've already kind of seen it in the offseason with uh, their GM who was let go for basically having an inappropriate relationship and a a toxic workplace environment. It just feels – and their coach had a really strong end of the season last year and Ant looked incredible. I just feel like the shoe, uh, the other shoe always drops for this team. So I'm taking the under. I think I'm going to have to take the over. I I think it's vibes for Anthony Davis or Anthony uh, Anthony Edwards. Sorry. And then something's got to break right for Cat for goodness sake. So I'll take the over. You know, it's a hard decision. I I, I hope you're right. How about you, Donnie? What you got? Yeah, I'm actually 
coming in pretty strong for the over on this one. There's a couple of reasons. I'm a big believer in Chris Finch and what they showed at the end of last year. The Rosas stuff is definitely troubling. You know, you know, you definitely don't love just losing the GM like that. Um, but uh, you know, it's the GM. Chris Finch is really who matters. The players are what matters. Russell was actually really, really good running the offense and bombing threes. Edwards is one of the most exciting prospects in the league. You got Jaden McDaniels, who's looking like a legit defensive stopper and someone who can really run the break with Cat. And I, I just think there's also some some like trade upside here. I really love Ben Simmons for this team. And even beyond that, I think there's a chance that they're just going to really go all out to make the play-in. So maybe they trade for Simmons or a different vet. There's There's just a lot of reasons this could go over for me and uh, the truth is we'll get into these other teams but you compare them to like the kings and the pelicans and the grizzlies and all of those teams are significantly higher on the totals and i don't think they're significantly better so i'm going to go over on this one and it would probably be the strongest pick for me so far out of what we've done wow high confidence interval and yeah and to me like like you said uh Portland's always hurt. I feel like this is this is your thing with Nurkic for me. It is Minnesota. Something always happens. But you think they could really get Simmons? Uh, do you think Russell goes in a Simmons trade? I think the world where they get Simmons is not actually involving D'Angelo Russell. I think the money works with Torian Prince um thrown in alongside McDaniels, who would be a good piece for Philly. And then I think you just kind of got to stuff the picks cupboard or I guess the opposite, or, you know, loot the picks, the picks cupboard. Um, it's not an exciting package, but if Philly gets desperate, I mean, if Simmons is really willing to hold out, it might be the best they can do. I, I just don't. Do see you think happening. Minnesota takes the protections off to make that happen? I don't think I would do it, but yeah, I, I, I think there's a real chance. I mean, at a certain point, I know Cat likes playing in Minnesota, but at a certain point, you're you're just going to have to win some games with this guy. You're going to be at serious risk of him leaving, asking to be traded, and I and I don't think there's any way it happens with trading Russell because, by all accounts, Russell and Cat are the closest of friends, and that's why you went out and got got a guy like that. So I I don't think he gets traded. I do think there's a chance they actually, you know push the big red button to get Maury to agree to the trade. And I, and I think he'd be an amazing fit. I I'm very anti Simmons on the Cavs, but I love him for uh, Minnesota. Interesting. So up next, we all three went through and picked that one, right? Yeah. Uh, up next, uh, we've got uh, the Cavs rival at the bottom of the standings last year, uh, the Oklahoma city thunder. All right. OKC Thunder, we have coming in at 23.5. Where are we at on this one, Chris? Oh, I'm going to go under. I mean, I don't, you know, all they have is shy. Is shy healthy? Is he going to play? Or are they going to sit him down? I have no idea. But uh, just shy doing it all alone. Uh, he's got nothing around him. I, you know, uh, it's hard for me not to see them at the bottom of the league again. What what about you, Donnie? 
Yeah, same here. I just don't think they have any interest in winning. So given that, I got to go under. I mean, it's it's not impossible that things happen. I think SGA is one of the best young players in the league. But, I mean, look, there's an outside chance that he could get traded. There were rumors around the draft that they were considering moving him for one of the top few picks in this draft. And I just think that's where Presti's head is at. Um, yeah, I mean, even in the draft, you know, he had enough draft picks that he could have made this a young and exciting team. Instead, he's going to roll out, you know, SGA and freaking Poku. So, I, yeah, I, I got to go under here. There was a fantastic John Hollinger tweet the other day. It's like uh, he, he said he liked to name uh, players after football plays. And he was trying to think of what uh, the football play equivalent of uh, Andrew Pokusevsky was. And the, the, the reader answer that one was uh, Skinny Post, <laughs> which I thought was fantastic. Nice. Hey, 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 and you, you got that pronunciation off, rolled right off the tongue, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was. I I got to go under too. I think, like you you both said, this team has zero interest in winning. I think, um, you know, Shy is going to get sat for an ingrown toenail. Uh, this, you know, and I really am excited about Josh Giddy. I want to see what he can do, and but I don't think there's anybody on this team that's untradeable. I think they will. I. I kind of don't understand what they're doing because at a certain point you can only use so many draft picks. So it, it's a little perplexing, but we'll, we'll see what happens with this team. Um, but yeah, I'm taking the under. And then, so let's go to the break and uh, then we'll get into the other two divisions here real quick. Ooh. Welcome back to Cavs of Podcast. I'm Nate Smith and I'm here with Donnie Socher and Chris Francis, and we are burning through the Pacific Division this year uh, over unders. Uh, and let's get back to the Southwest. So, uh, the Southwest an interesting division. Uh, we've got. Let's start with our old friend uh, David Griffin, who is on his third coach in three years. Uh, what's the line there? We got New Orleans Pelican, New Orleans Pelicans at thirty eight point five. Thirty eight point five. Uh, where where are you at with that, Donnie? I'm a fan of Zion as everyone, and probably a bigger fan than most. I I think he has a chance at blossoming into a legit top ten player in the NBA this year. But I just gotta roll with the under here. You know, swapping out Lonzo Ball for Devonte Graham should do even more for the offense. But I mean, you're trading essentially a defensive wing for a tiny point guard. And, you know, Steven Adams for Valanchunas, again, probably helps the offense, but almost certainly hurts the defense. So the only way I see this, like, going comfortably over is if Zion becomes something on defense that we just haven't seen yet. I don't expect that. Plus, you add in the fact that he seems to have hurt his foot this summer and all the horrible, horrible reporting outside of, you know, out of New Orleans on the relationships in, in that on that team. And I, I really really am very comfortable with the under on this. I I don't understand that the Stan Van Gundy hire just seems like an utter disaster for that team. Like a guy who NBA players were tuning out 10 years ago, like why you would ever hire him to coach possibly the, you know, best draft prospect since, um, 
maybe since LeBron. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he was that highly touted. Um, why you would ever hire him to coach that guy is beyond me. And it seems like an epic disaster. I think David Griffin has one year to turn it around, and I don't think he's going to. And so I'm going to go with the under here uh, with you. I'm with you, Donnie. Uh, I think the the Griffin left all his magic in Cleveland. And, and most of that magic was named LeBron James. That's right. <laughs> wow. I think I'm going to have to zag. Uh, I'll go the over because it's so low. I mean, 38.5, it's not even a 500 team. I got I to, gotta, you know, I'm a Duke fan, you know. Got to support my boy Zion. I got to think that Zion's going to get him to 500. So if if Zion gets him over 500, is he a legit MVP candidate? Because I feel like he's actually already in the discussion if he's healthy. Yes. It's going to be hard because, I mean, there seems to be a cluster of guys like in that Zion level with Luca and Trey who are also – uh, you know, carrying their teams at a young age. So he could be in the conversation. I highly doubt he'd win, though. Interesting. So welcome back to Cavs, a podcast. I uh, had a little technical difficulty, but we are back. Uh, up next, the San Antonio Spurs. What is the uh, over-under there? We have them at the San Antonio Spurs are at 28.5. So I'm going over, and that's mainly because the Spurs uh, had 33 wins last year, and we are playing 10 more games. I just don't think that uh, that Popovich is, is going to be on the under. It just doesn't seem part of his M.O., and they haven't lost really any significant pieces. Their big surprise draft day acquisition was Josh Primo, the 18-year-old, the youngest player in the draft. And uh but they're they're very high on him, but obviously a long-term play. So it should be interesting to see what happens with them, but you know, they have decent players, DeJounte Murray. Um but yeah, just cuz of pop I'm I'm taking the over. What about you, Donnie? Yeah, I'm I'm also taking the over and same reason. You know, when you're picking these teams that are at the lower end of the win curve, I think you will really only go under if there's a chance that they start tanking. And I just, there's just no way this team's going to tank. Pop is, you know, in what is probably one of his last few years, and he's just going to keep grinding out wins, even if it's to move them from the 12th seed to the 11th. So it's an easy over for me. Yeah, he is 27 wins away from... Don Nelson's uh, career coaching record. So I have a real hard time thinking they're just going to barely get there. So, yeah, my uh, what about you, Chris? I will make it three for three there. You know, how can you go against pop? I mean, that's that's what it really comes down to. And they even have some nice young talent that may blossom or whatever. But mainly, you know, pop coming off the gold medal. You know, F you to the critics there. Pop is as ordinary as ever. He's going to get it. You know, the critics were out in full force when they lost, what was it, two pre-Olympic uh, games. And clearly they had to, you know, feel each other out and, and figure it out. And having Kevin Durant uh, certainly helped a lot. <laughs> um, Kevin Durant, I don't think anybody argue would argue is, you know, between he and LeBron – 
the most talented players. And I would say Durant's probably ahead of LeBron at this point of his career just because of the advancing age of LeBron. But, you know, it, for my mind, Kevin Durant could be MVP this year. Um, yeah, I, I bet there's some pretty good odds. Out there, yeah. So. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, yeah, he certainly had a nice summer. Um, up next, we have the – so I'm just going to go to you on this one. Uh, Chris, and well, first, give me the over under on the Memphis Grizzlies. There, Memphis Grizzlies are at forty one point five. So, um, my guess, Donnie, just if, if if you think Minnesota is gunning for the play in, my guess is you think they're replacing Memphis. Am I right? Yeah, sadly, I am going to go under on this one. I'm a huge John Morant fan. Think he has. You know, I, th- I think that Utah series was legit star breakout moment, but I think they're gonna miss Valanciunas more than maybe some people realize. I'm not a big Stephen Adams guy, and Valanciunas on the pick and roll, offensive rebounds. Adams can replace some of it, but not all of it, and he can't replace that chemistry that John Valanciunas had. So I, I think that's a legit loss. And honestly, if you just look at what the Grizzlies are doing in aggregate, it doesn't really appear like they are going to be gunning for an eight seed. I, I actually think they have a good head on their shoulders in regards to team building. You know, they drafted Zaire Williams, who's a very, very young project type of player. And uh, there's rumors that they're looking to maybe even move Kyle Anderson and perhaps Dylan Brooks for assets. So I, I think there's a lot more, you know, you run this a thousand times. I think they go under more times than they go over. Hey, can you guys hear me? Yes. Uh, so my, I'm going to, I'm going to agree with you guys there. And, and one of the reasons is a lot of what you talked about is I, I think the brain trust there uh, really thinks that they peaked last year. Um, and they're kind of taking purposely taking a step back. So I, I would not be surprised at all if they if they do the under. I, I definitely think that Val, they're going to miss Valanchunas, like you said. And one of the big reasons is Valanchunas' uh, shooting from, you know, about 12 feet and out is actually pretty underrated. Stevens just isn't that guy. A little bit, it was an asset acquisition. I also think one of their problems is they have too many high-level role players and not enough stars. And they've got to figure out how to get another star to compliment. And I don't think that guy is, um, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of his game. I think one of the problems is that he's very foul prone and not a great defensive player, which, you know, to be an impactful big in today's NBA, you either have to be a transcendent offensive player or a very impactful defensive player. And he's kind of neither at this point. So I'm also taking the under with the yeah, – I think they're going to tank. So what about you, Chris? Uh, I'll make it three for three again. Uh, I think you guys are on the right track. I, I'm – you know, I could see regression from them. Um, really the, the X factor on why they would go over I think is a huge leap from John Moran. He, he takes his game to another level, which, you know, you kind of hinted at uh, Donnie there in the playoffs. So – you know, if he sustains that, you know, there's a chance. But, I mean, the West is so tough. And, uh, 
I, I agree with uh, those of you. I think both of you uh, mentioned the loss of JV. I'm I'll count me in with that. I think you know he was a he was a, a good player for them, and I think they'll miss his offensive impact uh, compared to uh, Stephen Adams. And up next, uh, the Cavs, another Cavs rival at the bottom of the standings, uh, featuring a former Cavalier, uh, Kevin Porter Jr., uh, and that would be the Houston Rockets. Uh, interesting team. I'm, I, what, what, what's the number at there, Chris? We are uh, – Houston is at 25.5 overall. Ooh, that's a tough number. What do you think, Chris? I'm going to take the under. I think it's just so hard. I mean, they got nice pieces, but they, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if they have uh, the cohesion and the uh, um, the bench really to compete. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. And the other issue to me is this team doesn't want to win. You know, they're going right. to put the, the they're all about getting experience for uh, Jalen Green, Kevin Porter Jr. I would be very surprised if um, you know Christian Wood made the made it through the whole season there. I think they'll end up flipping him, but they also have a very interesting contract in John Wall. You know, I think he's going to be paid you know forty some million dollars to not play, which is just fantastic. He he makes Kevin Love's contract look uh, look palatable, so. Yeah, I'm I'm taking the under. I mean, that's a pretty low number. What would you say it was 27? 25.5. 25.5. Yeah, I'm taking the under. What about you, Donnie? This one's close for me. I totally hear where both you guys are coming from. They should tank. I'm actually going to lean over on this one. Again, it's close. I I don't think they're like blasting past this number or anything. But I really, really like their draft, and I actually like it with an eye towards their performance this year. I think Shangun is probably, I mean, he might be, after Cade, he might be the most ready to contribute rookie despite being drafted 16th. Jalen Green looked really good in Summer League, and they just have enough vets. You know, you got guys like Jay Sean Tate, who's a really great defender. I, I think at some point they will tank, but I think this ends up being one of those teams that, um, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of a different era with tanking. You don't really need to lose every game the, the way that, like, peak process Sixers did. So I, I see Houston ending up with, like, somewhere between the sixth and the ninth worst record, which I think would have them pretty comfortably over. I, I think one of the things that's going to be a little bit different this year about tanking is because the schedule isn't as compressed – you're not going to see these teams like the Rockets and the Cavs and Oklahoma City did last year sneak up on some teams during some regular season games. Uh, you know, opponents aren't gonna are going to be able to actually game plan a little bit more than they have in the past. So I I do think you know on the lower end, you know, mid and early season, some of those uh, wins were a little inflated, and I don't know if you'll get as many of those, but you know, it's it's still a a, a pretty equilibrium-based system, so we'll see how that works out. Uh, up next, uh, the last team from this division, uh, the Dallas Mavericks, a very hard team to peg with a very odd offseason. Uh, Jason Kidd, their new head coach. Uh, what, what's the number there, Chris? We have the Dallas Mavericks at 48.5. 
I am going to take the under. I just, I think Luca is really good. I think the rest of that team is not that good. They have a lot of high-level role players. I think Jason Kidd's a terrible coach. And I'm I'm not 100% convinced that they seem to me like one Luca injury away from being, you know, really bad. Like that number could go way lower. So I'm I'm a little bit with, you know, that number seems really at the high end of the band for me and I I just don't really buy it. What about you, Donnie? This one's this one is real tough for me. I think I think I, I'm going to go with you. I think I'm going to go under. A lot of it has to do with if Luca gets injured. I think at this point, Luca is sort of like a maybe not quite the same level. He's sort of an early LeBron machine in the sense that if he's on the floor, you're going to win a really high percentage of your games, and you're going to do it like basically no matter who is on the floor with him. As we saw by him, you know, nearly eviscerating the healthy Clippers with like Boban Marjanovic playing big minutes. Um, but <laughs> there's just a, there's just a little too many unknowns for for me to feel comfortable with the over. I, I kid is kid is a t- Jason Kidd is a tough one for me because I'm as skeptical of him as everyone else, but I'm also skeptical of the idea that like every NBA player is just like stupid about the fact that he's a good coach, if that makes sense, because every pundit who I trust and myself seems to think he's a horrible coach, but then you kind of just like look at the league wide opinion of him and he clearly has some level of clout and influence and high level reputation. So I I really don't know what to make of Jason Kidd. And I think this, this stop is going to be like the one because there's no more excuses after you got to, Coach Luka Doncic, you know, Chris. Yeah, um, that was well said, Donnie. Uh, I I'm, I think I'm going to go three for three again. Sorry to make it. Uh, sorry to make it uh, a trifecta so many times, but uh, yeah, the K- Jason Kidd thing. It's Luka and nobody. Uh, Porzingis, you know, that was disastrous and has set them back. They've wasted the entire rookie contract for Luka basically now. Uh yeah, I'm I'm out on this. Luca's gone. He's coming to Cleveland, baby. <laughs> I don't think Luca is. They're not trading him for anything, especially after that huge contract he just signed. But I will say he's going to do it to honor the Slovenians. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I will say that I think there's a lot of truth to what you said, Donnie. About you know, Luca is one of those guys, kind of like LeBron. It kind of doesn't matter who your coach is. Like, you can't scheme for Luca because he literally, you're building your entire offense and team around him as a super high usage guy who does really good things on the basketball court. And scheme doesn't matter as much as getting role players to buy in, managing the minutes, getting the scouting reports right. Like, he makes coaching simultaneous, he makes coaching easier and uh, talent acquisition harder. So it it should be, but I still am going to take the under uh, for the reasons I talked about earlier. And with that, we're going to go to another break. And uh, when we get back, uh, we'll be wrapping this up with the Pacific Division. So stay tuned. Welcome back to Castle Podcast. So wrapping it up here, we've got the uh, the Glory Division in the NBA with uh, 
the Suns, Clippers, Lakers, Warriors, and Kings. Just a totally stacked division. Or, yeah, division. Uh, where do you want to start? I, I feel like we got to start with the Kings here, Chris. So, who clearly, I, I don't think there's anybody that doesn't think they're in the bottom of this division. <laughs> oh, my goodness. The, yeah, what? They're, they're in the glory division. Uh, okay, Sacramento Kings, we got at 35.5. Oh, Chris, give me give me your gut on this one. Oh, man. I mean, it's definitely the under. I feel like I don't get what they're doing. I don't know. Uh, I have no idea if they have a plan. I don't know. I mean, they still have Luke Walton as their coach. You've got to be one of the worst coaches in the association. Yeah, I'm going under. Donnie? This is just one of those ones where I'm looking at the number and just shaking my head at how good the lines are. Yeah, like how good odds makers are. Yeah, it's just it's incredible. And I mean, it's it's like 35.5 is just almost impossible for me to pick. I'm going to go slight over just because I think on an institutional level they're really committed to winning for whatever reason and Rashawn Holmes is really good. Darren Fox is really good. I'm a big Halliburton guy. Davion, uh, you know, they're, they're young, tiny, but unbelievable in defense. Point guard drafty seems, seems really good. And uh, I can even kind of see a place for Tristan Thompson, again, on, on their team. So I'm, I'm going to go very slight over. But, again, this line is almost perfect, and I'm actually, like, thinking over to 36 or 37 it's it's basically a push for me yeah like this thing i gotta take the over and i hate myself for it because yeah i took the over just because exactly what chris said or i'm sorry donnie said they have two really good players in uh people don't realize how good darren fox is like he's ridiculously good. He would be an all-star in the East for sure um, at, at the guard spot. And, you know, I love Halliburton. I think he's a perfect player for them. The big thing, for, and, you know, they have a really, you know, nice fit with their, oh, who's the starting three for them? Is it Harrison Barnes? It is Harrison Barnes. Yeah. So Harrison Barnes is a great starting three for them. If Martin Bagley figures it out to actually be even a net neutral player, they could be a, a, a hard team to beat. They could literally be a 500 team. And I just, they they won 31 games last year without all the additions they've made. I I just think they're too good to, to hit that under. I think they're going to be better this year than they were last year. And they were... 31 win team last year. So, well, Nate, now, now that you reminded me of the existence of Marvin Bagley, I wonder if I should pick the under. Uh, <laughs> no, I, 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 yeah, I mean, Marvin Bagley, obviously, if there was a guy I was ever just grossly wrong on in the NBA, it's Marvin Bagley. Although I do feel like if he'd have gone to like Miami, my, Marvin Bagley would have been a fantastic player, but he is, one of the bigger wastes of talent I've ever seen in the NBA, for sure. It, he's just mind-bogglingly bad defensive player, and I, I just don't understand it at all. I thought he would be Sean Kemp 2.0, and he's just yeah, not. Yeah, I mean, his his uh, 
a lot of the, you know, even it wasn't just like ESPN and the Kings being stupid. You know, you look at like the Stepien or other great draft analysis sites. A lot of people really loved Marvin Bagley at the time. I mean, his athleticism was just absurd. He was a great scorer, is a great rebounder. And then he just got to the Kings and just uh, like disintegrated. It's just, and and you know it's also he's one of the guys who there's been a lot of headlines where it's like his dad is upset about his playing time, and that's just not something you want after like middle school, you know. Yeah, he definitely kind of failed the mental toughness challenge of the NBA. I still think he has some potential as you know a second draft guy, but he's he's got to completely kind of re, be rebuilt from the ground up. But yeah, he, he's an nugget. If the Cavs weren't so loaded at the four, I'd love them to take a flyer on him. But clearly, there's no spot for him on this team, and, and probably for the best. Anyway, moving on. Yeah, I guess we'll we'll end with the championship Suns. So I guess up next, we got the Golden State Warriors. Golden State Warriors we have at 48.5. Oh, man, that is a good line. I am going to take the under. And I'll tell you why. I just don't think their health is going to hold out. I just think they're getting to the age where the injury is going to start to creep in. You know, you got Dre. We, you don't have uh, Clay Thompson coming back till later in the season. I just don't think they're going to have the bodies. I think, and when when they start playing a lot of these young guys heavy minutes, it's it's going to start to fall apart. And plus, the Wiggins factor is a huge distraction for this team uh, with the whole uh, vaccination issue, and you know, possibly not being able to play in like half their games. So, yeah, I'm taking the under. I, well, I believe I will. I actually am about to agree with you on the under. I do believe it just came out that Wiggins has been vaccinated, which yeah. is a big mazel tov to Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> Well, hi, him. <laughs> yeah, so literally to life. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, oh, okay, keep going, Don. Yeah, I'm also I'm also going under. Uh, Steph was absolutely nuclear last season, arguably the best he's ever been, and they still didn't win many games. I honestly am, you know, I'm not even a Warriors fan, and I'm genuinely upset that they haven't traded for any vets. I think. Kaminga is a really exciting prospect and Moody is less exciting, but I don't think either of them are likely to contribute to winning this year. And Clay is not coming back for a while. Even when he comes back, let's pretend he's already back to where he was on offense. Like he was also a huge part of what made their defense functional. Like, I mean, even that game where Kyrie dropped 45 on him or whatever in the finals, Clay was just draped over every shot and he's not going to be able to do that coming off like tr- a traumatic injury. So I, I just think there's a whole lot of ways this could go under. And if Steph misses even 10 games, then the under is a lock. So it's, it's actually, I think one of the best, the best bets on the board for me. Chris. Wow. I'm actually going to go over, um, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, I hate them so much and wish them so much, uh, misery and suffering. And sometimes the universe just doesn't let you be happy like that. And, you know, so I think they're going to come <laughs> out and, you know, dominate and have fun. And they'll, uh, I think they'll, you know, uh, what I was thinking, you know, off the top of my head was they may replace the Clippers 
um, spot uh, as a contender out in the West. You're putting the reverse jinx on him. I like it. Yes, I mean, <laughs> so I, I will say there is one caveat here, and Chris may have uh, outthought us. I do think if there's a team that is positioned to trade for a Bradley Beal, it's probably this team uh, with as many young guys as they have and, you know, tradable contracts. Um, he's probably the most likely star to become available. I don't think it's going to be um, Dame Lillard, but uh, but we'll see what happens. Um, and then uh, do you think they'd be interested in uh, Ben Simmons? No, I don't think he makes any sense for them. And obviously, Joe Lacob was fine for talking about it. Oh, right. Um, <laughs> I yeah, that. I mean, I I really think Lacob was right. He he duplicates a lot of what Dre does. And unless you're giving now, if you were to give up Dre to get him, maybe it might make some sense. I actually think it would be a great environment for Simmons, but you'd have to send Dre to Philly, and it's almost too many contracts to trade for Simmons the way they'd have to structure it all. Uh, so uh, what, what do you think about that, Donnie? Yeah, I actually am a bit on an island with the fact that I I think they could find a way to make Simmons work in Golden State. Obviously, he complicates spacing even further, but I, I just think that that is the type of environment where he could work out. Like, it's obviously not a perfect on-court fit, but they do so much movement on and off ball. You know, everyone on the team sets screens, so it's not like you're just asking him to come in and be a traditional center. That's a, that's the type of swing I, I would think was worth taking. But, I mean, I, I don't think it's likely to happen, and I don't really see why Dame or Beal makes a ton of sense for them either, honestly, given their defensive limitations. And I think Wiseman um, might be like a negative value contract in six months. So I, I really have no idea what's going to go down with the Warriors. It is, they, they have a wild range of outcomes this year. Yeah, that low confidence interval. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah, that's definitely. Right. I mean, it's, it's not inconceivable to me that they win. They pull off a big trade, win 58 games and win a title. It's also not inconceivable that they have like the 10th worst record in the league, you know? Yeah, it's. Yeah, I mean, they're also a team that has shown no compunctions about, you know, just ripping the parachute on the season and just saying, hey, uh, we're tanking. They've done it the last two years. And as you have said, you know, reviewing this, I would be super pissed if I was a Warriors fan with the way they've handled the twilight of Steph Curry's career. They absolutely could have traded for another star in the last season and a half and, and have punted and punted and punted. But if Michael Jordan was on that team instead of Steph Curry, he would have absolutely raked him over the coals. But he's not, and Steph's not that guy. And maybe that's why Michael is Michael and Steph is Steph. And speaking of teams that are pushing all their chips to the middle of the table, uh, we got the L.A. Clippers. Where, where's your number for them, Donnie? What's the number, Chris? And Donnie, let me know where you're at. The, the number is 44.5. 44.5, again, another incredible number. Shout out to the odds makers. Oh, it hurts. I'm going to go over on this one, but I don't feel good about it. I have in the past overreacted, I think, to playoff performances and trends. 
but I really do feel like they found something with Paul George as, you know, a point forward, you know, shooting off the dribble and distributing to everyone and letting Reggie Jackson play more of a, you know, traditional off guard role. I, that just looked really good to me. And, you know, as much as it's sacrilege to say it, the offense looked better without Kawhi. I'm not saying it was better, but it, it functioned in a sort of more healthy way. And I, I think that can carry over to next season. I, I like their pieces. I think Zubac is a very solid center. Um, I mean, the numbers suggest he's almost as good as Jared Allen, honestly, as much as I hate to say it. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go over with them. And Zubac, younger than most people realize. I think he's only 24, right? Yeah, he's very young. Um, and, I mean, it's, it's remarkable, but I'm pretty sure the Lakers literally just – punted him off to the Clippers for like a, a late second round pick. Yeah, it was one of the one of the most awful. That was a cup check trade, wasn't it? Or was that I, Palenka I think, trade? I, th- I think it might have been a, a Magic Johnson vintage performance. Oh, that's right. Yes. The magic hour. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to be with you and take the over here and I kind of hate myself for it. I really didn't like the Patrick Beverly for um Oh, who who did they get? Drew Bledsoe or Eric Bledsoe uh, trade, but it but Eric Bledsoe's also a guy before the Clippers always helped you win in the regular season and then just folded in the playoffs. This team has the feel to me of a team that overachieves in the regular season and then of course playoff P shows up and they kind of fall apart. I actually kind of agree with you that having Kawhi out of the lineup for an extended period of time is going to help them from an offensive continuity standpoint. You know, him being in and out all the time, I think hurt him. I actually think Paul George might be a, you know, dark horse MVP candidate, especially because he plays in LA, a big market. And, you know, he's definitely going to be the engine driving that uh, locomotive there. So I'm, I'm going to take the over. What about you, I want to take, I'll take the over too. It's just, it's way too low, don't you think? It's 44. It's barely over 500. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I feel like they can get to 45, 48. Balmer can buy 10 wins by himself. That's right. Exactly. There you go. Yeah, I mean, they were just a deep, they were one of the deepest teams, in my opinion, last, uh, last playoffs. You know, I know they lost the, 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 head of the snake there in Kauai. But, I mean, they had an extremely deep team, and they made it to the conference finals, right? So, uh, you know, uh, I think they can I think they can skate by on a sub-50. Uh, yeah, and it's not like they're super old the way the Lakers are. Right, so. right, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, Terrence Mann coming into his own. They've got some live bodies coming off the bench at least. So. Yeah, and, you know, up next, those self-same Lakers, I – I don't. What is the number, Chris? Because I'm, I'm super curious. It's fifty-two point five. Man, again, just another brutal number. Like, how do you pick against that? God, that's a good number. I'm, I'm going to take the over, and and the reason I'm going to take the over, I think the West is going to be really tough this year. I just feel like this is LeBron's kind of last shot. And Westbrook was really underrated last year. I think they figure it out. It's going to be very similar to the way Wade and LeBron operated in uh, Miami. And there's never going to be a time that one of those guys isn't on the court. 
you know, there'd be probably about 12, you know, 20 minutes a night where they're on the court together. And the rest of the time they're, they're going to be driving the offense separately. It's hard to defend against because it's really hard to get, defend against Westbrook and LeBron who do very similar things. I'm going to take the over. Where are you at with this, Chris? I agree. Westbrook and LeBron do figure it out. I think uh, Mello at least uh, provides some scoring punch off the bench, as he did in Portland. I think it's a last go-around for so many of the guys on that roster. You know, all the jokes about their old age. Kind of hungry and have that chip on their shoulder as old guys and one, one, one last shot of glory. Yeah, I think they're coming out with the mission and... Uh, I can see them going over. Donnie? Yeah, I'm actually very, very comfortably over on this one. I'm cautiously optimistic about the Westbrook fit in the playoffs, but I am like hugely nakedly optimistic about it in the regular season. I oh, I'm with you. I mean, first of all, he's exactly the type of player that Anthony Davis needs. He's He is far from perfect, obviously. We, we all know that about, about Russell Westbrook. You know, he can still run a pick and roll. He can still throw lobs and he is going to be extremely motivated. It should let LeBron rest both on court as he likes to do and off court. I, I, I think they're going to win a ton of games, honestly. And I also think that if this buzz about Davis starting out the five is real, I'm that could change everything. Honestly, it could really make a huge in like it, it could make Davis an MVP contender. I think like that's how much better the Lakers are with him at center. So it's a pretty comfortable over for me. Obviously, as the last few years have indicated, everything with this Lakers team depends on health. You know, they are 100 percent vaxxed. So I don't think you're going to see them affected or the players on that team affected the way Westbrook was last year by um by COVID because he really didn't come into his own till the last third of the season or so. We are on, I believe, to Phoenix. Is that the Phoenix Suns, the the Western Conference champions. All right. So we have Phoenix Suns coming in at 51.5. Really? That's interesting. For a team that won 51 in a 72-game season last year, obviously the odds makers are a little more down on them. Uh, what do you think of that number, Chris? Man, uh, you kind of convinced me, except uh, I want to go under is really what I want to do. I think there's regression uh, for CP3. I'm not convinced that Devin Booker is really taking that next step. I am convinced that Aiton and Bridges will continue to improve and get marginally better, but they're not the engines that CP3 and Booker are. And I'm skeptical on Booker. I'm skeptical that Booker can really run an offense, especially when CP3's uh, off the court, um, either with rest or injury. So, how about Donnie? Uh, yeah, I'm. Um, I'm gonna go over on this one. I have a few other teams who are near this under, and I just think enough of the guys around CP are young enough that I'm more comfortable going over. I mean. Aiton is one of the more interesting players in the league to me because, you know, there's a massive gap between what the sort of analytics crowd thinks and what the general public and, you know, ESPN commentators think. I think it's possible for him to close that gap if he just could learn how to draw a freaking free throw and just like not fade away every single time he shoots. I, I'm a big Mikhail Bridges fan and think that he could get even better What's interesting about a guy like Booker is that 
I don't think there's really a leap in him, and I don't think he's ever going to become like a 40% shooter from three consistently. But if he could just start pumping up his assist numbers a little and just being more comfortable with driving in order to pass as opposed to driving just to pull up in the mid-range, it could really change the way that the way that team plays moving forward. I don't know. I just, sorry to be so old school, but I'm just a believer in that whole thing of, you know, these guys made a run, they know how to play with each other, and I just think they're going to win a ton of games. I'm going to also take the over for a lot of the same reasons as you guys. I also think Monty Williams is as good of a coach as there is in the NBA right now. There's been a lot of talk of Steve Kerr taking over for Team USA. If Kerr weren't to take that over, uh, I think Monty Williams would probably be the next uh, or maybe Buttonholzer, but I really think Monty Williams might be the best coach in the NBA right now. He's just produced wins and made the environment better everywhere he's been. I also think this team is deeper than they were last year. Some really great pickups for them with Landry Shamit. actually really liked Alfred Payton for them as a guy, much like Cameron Payne, that could kind of rehabilitate his career in uh, Phoenix. I actually think he's been a really underrated player for a long time, even though kind of he stunk on ice last year for the Knicks. But before that, he had some good advanced numbers. Another guy for them that I really like is JaVale McGee, who can come in and be a backup center for them. Chandler Hutchinson and Jalen Smith, if they get anything out of those guys, you know, talent there as well. Um, I just, I'm with you. I think they have a ton of talent. They have built enough depth at the guard spot that I don't think the drop-off after Chris Paul, if he were to get hurt or, you know, not play as many minutes is, is as steep as it might have been in the past. So I'm, I'm going to take the over as well. And I feel like that's a pretty good look at the uh, Western Conference. Is there anything, you know, big points about the Western Conference that we left out that you guys you know, want to touch on before we sign off here? Donnie? I don't know There's a, that I have a whole lot of big points, and I am being a bit of a homer here because I live in L.A. I actually think people are overlooking just how good the Lakers are going to be. You know, if you look at how this season played out, both the Lakers and the Heat, the two teams that played the deepest into the bubble, both had really horrible injury-ridden seasons and disappointing playoff runs. And, and I, I, don't, I don't think that's a mistake, you know. Uh, I, I think there's a reason for that. And giving these guys a whole offseason of rest, Davis coming in and claiming he's going to commit to actually playing center, it's possible that we'll look back on this season and think Lakers-Nets or Lakers-Bucks in the finals was kind of destiny. I don't frankly see a team in the West that is particularly close to them if they're running on all cylinders. A lot of people's big concern on the Lakers is an injury to Davis or LeBron and LeBron because of age and Davis because it seems to happen pretty regularly. Chris, anything to add? No, I, no the, the one thing I probably would add is I'm kind of interested to see how Denver um, comes back. Guessing they'll get Jamal Murray um, at some point back this season, maybe late in the year, and they're hanging around uh, in the playoff picture. When I look at all the teams, I just think like, what's their ceiling? They're those. They're the team that I'm most intrigued by their ceiling with. Now that they have uh, Gordon uh, into the mix, second season with Gordon should produce some better results. 
MPJ continuing to improve, Jamal Murray coming back, Jokic, you know, maintaining his play. I'm wondering what's their ceiling. Can they actually enter the realm of Utah Jazz, Lakers, Clippers? Can they become bonafide contenders? Great questions. And my my headset has finally given up the ghost here. So before we check out, Chris, uh, anything to pitch for this week? Just one thing. I'll be publishing an article on uh, retrospective on Media Day. So be looking out for that, uh, all UCTs. Donnie? Um, I don't think I have anything right now. And I'm going to pitch a terrible computer game that's giving me horrible carpal tunnel right now. And it's called Darkest Dungeon. Uh, it's a nice roguelike uh, dungeon crawler slash management sim, um, and and it's pretty fun. That's uh, my uh, pitch for the week. And then I'm going to pitch my wife's beef tips and noodles, which she made for dinner, <laughs> which oh, was awesome. You just got <laughs> me hungry, man. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and look forward to the Cavs on Tuesday night against the Bulls, and then hopefully we'll have a uh, – a pod cap and maybe over-unders on the Eastern Conference uh, later this week. So, as always, go Cavs. Go Cavs. Say it one more time, Donnie. Go, go Cavaliers. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Cavs the Blogs podcast. Check back soon for some more fun with your favorite blogger. There's a fire. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.